0: Listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab Podcast. I have Kathy here. Kathy, in one line, give me your name, your title, and the name of your fund.
1: So, Susan Cho, Catalyst Ventures. Not
0: Susan, not Kathy. That's happened to me before, Susan. Oh, that's right. (laughs) You're
1: thinking about our wonderful PR person. Yes,
0: I was. You're a wonderful PR person. Susan, what inspired you to become a, a venture capitalist or an investor?
1: I was never... Wanting to be a venture capitalist, I seem to always happen into roles more by the things that I'm attracted to doing, right? Whether it be a CEO of a venture-backed company or a corp-dead person for a publicly traded tech company, I'd be a little afraid of people like that who are like, I want to be a CEO or I want to be a venture capitalist. It's, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but it's the ability to take... The lessons I learned from my venture backed companies and share it with startup founders, and sometimes hopefully be able to shield them or help them from the dumb mistakes that I've made, <laughs> and also maximize the opportunities, of course. So,
0: wonderful. So, what is your thesis, and what is the motivation or
1: the impetus behind your
0: investment thesis?
1: So right now, in the past probably five, six years, I've been focusing a lot on digital health and in a broader scope has always been to leverage data to optimize operations that are repetitive mm-hmm. and free up the human soul from being a machine, yes. and having been a research analyst or financial analyst, there are things that you go, gosh, I'm asking the same questions over and over by Google or different search engines and resources. Why could we not automate this? So that's right. an approach that I've had overall, but digital health, because as many people know, even prior to COVID, there's less, people talk about health equity, but Health equity comes from what? Access to high-quality caregivers Mm -hmm. and even the doctors themselves having access to peers in their specialty areas that can near real-time collaborate so that they can deliver higher quality of care. So that's where... Agreed. Yeah, so that's an overriding, I think, driver of investment. And then at the same time, we do invest in fintech and some enterprise companies. I call them repeat offenders who've been at this for nine years across about three funds. So we have awesome. repeat offenders across other companies who come back and say, hey, I have this idea. And that's so begins,
0: right? That's awesome. I think that's great. You have some, I, call, I like how you call them repeat offenders.
1: <laughs> it is. At least they trust, like they trust you to
0: come back. And I would say it's an honor to, for them to want you back on as a repeat offender yourself.
1: So that's always this awesome. This is true. This is true. I do like that. So.
0: Wonderful. What are you currently learning or listening to or
1: reading these days? I read a lot about the macroeconomy. Because some of our, for a couple of reasons, some many of our companies that are in the growth stage, they are either fundraising or probably in that pre-IPO or exit stage in the next 24 months or so. And so broader context of the economy is important for that.
0: 100%.
1: And then, and then second is, and what do I mean by that? Inflation monetary policies, all of yes. that affects equity values as well mm-hmm. as the ability and desire for investors to either invest into the next round or the valuation at which they'll be supported. So yep. that's a, a top of mind, definitely. And then because of the focus on digital health or fintech and enterprise I do read a lot about either tech companies and mm-hmm. their applications. So, for instance, recently on the, B- the BBC, I read about how people are using AI and gaming to help with ADHD and mm. depression. Because oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so the physiology of the brain and the responses to stimuli however it may be done to the brain is something that people have been able to map and now they're linking it to gaming dynamics to help with focus increasing focus of adhd children or they're trying to help with depression which post-covid i can't say post-covid we're still in in the thick of it, but basically, I think it's a good use of data and digital health, so I read yes, absolutely at the macro level and micro level as well, and of course, who's funding what and yeah what.
0: we're all tracking that who's funding what who's raising funds, where okay. are funds going, yeah, things of that nature. We all uh, look at that so bonus question everyone gets it in two years uh when we're talking again, hopefully we'll talk before that, how do you see investing or venture capital changing or evolving?
1: Everybody says, gosh, it's bifurcating. Either Mm -hmm. the large funds who can raise that mega fund, billion plus, they're able to go have their pick of the valuation opportunities and having lived through 2000 2007 2011 and the list goes on of market dips both as corporate corp dev person who invests or buys companies for publicly traded tech companies or as a venture-backed ceo myself raising in the thick of all that look at where the market is today and where it might be in two years Mm-hmm. And in two years, hopefully, we're coming out of this dip caused by unusual trifecta of recession. That's people are saying Recession's we're in, coming. or, or well, we're it's coming. Here. I think it's, it's actually correct. here. Yeah, I, I, I think, think it's, it's been here for a minute. We just agree. didn't call it that. Correct, because they don't want to call it. But we have a tight job market and high mm-hmm. inflation, and frank interest rates high. Yeah, that's another so one, right? That impact that impacts money as well, correct? When interest rates are high, typically equity values go down because it's a cost, it's a trade-off, right? Absolutely, it's an interesting period, but. Innovation and investments not going to stop. I don't think it'll be the same as before, where it's a deluge of investors investing into just what if, because there's so much capital floating around. And so maybe there'll be more discipline in terms of investing, which is a good thing. Yeah. And also valuation we're seeing, I would say, setting. Adju-
0: adjusting to what it should have been in the beginning.
1: <laughs> yeah. the SAS multiples of thirty to one hundred x forward looking revenue was like, oh, that was like, Wo, oh, heady. And' well, I'm not it was, you know, it, was uh, it
0: was a ga- it was a bet, just any gamble bet, right? Were you doing a poker bet or a black tech bet
1: or a roulette bet? In what were you doing? agree, early stage investing yeah. is a bit of roulette table.
0: Correct, it's through that, right? Maybe you hit it, maybe you don't hit it. Except that we you can't know. make it like poker. You can't make it like poker. There's some mitigation, risk mitigation you can
1: do. No, and, it's not quite betting black or white. There's no a theme, the market, the growth rate, the product idea, but the unknown risk or known risk, hiring risk, market timing risk, all of that yeah. stuff you are betting against or 100%. with. And so, in two years, where would we be? I think there would be even more tightening of how investments are done. And, two, as people are saying, there's more focus on how do you make revenue and when is your estimated break even point for growth stage companies? Gee. That's, that's revolutionary. <laughs> I feel
0: like that's revolutionary. I know, that's happening. But not really. I actually believe like you, you should have some revenues. That's one of our philosophies. Yep. Uh, I believe you should have revenues because that's a non-dilutive way of actually holding off the venture capital
1: for as long as possible. It's, you mentioned non-dilutive, and I am a big believer that you have to have diverse sources of funding. Even 100%. Even the way you manage your AP and AR, especially in enterprise, right? 100%. You have abilities to do that. So some of our companies are doing that, encouraged mm-hmm. and actively being supported to do that. And in terms of the venture itself, venture business, I hope to see more of the younger generation of women going into more senior roles of investing.
0: Okay. And
1: second sure. is and how that happens. I don't have a roadmap, but definitely seeing more people Just more
0: females have to start funds or if you were an operator come out you start a fund if you're on boards and you see these things maybe you can come out and start a fund or be associated or affiliated with a fund
1: yeah many ways to do that so trying to help with that even in our little fund of three people full-time but well, it's it's a thinking, right? Like it's a way of
0: just doing the business that way. If you're intentional about it, and that's just how you do it, it's normal to you. It's not any different than anything else, even if it's just a few of you.
1: Yeah. So there's that track of thinking mm-hmm. how you invest, which I just referenced in terms of more tightening and focus on business model and whatnot. Business model, revenue model, break even. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think in consumer is a little different. There is a go for broke growth. And then that's a harder, that's a harder, that's a harder growth path because right, the marketing
0: dollars and the ability to gain someone's attention and the brand building required is a lot. Unless you just get lucky. That can happen. But right. If you're really trying to take on like a consumer brand or be like more consumer based brand. Yeah. That's hard starting from zero.
1: It is. It is. And so I think in terms of the fund business itself, will there be more huge funds and then groups of more industry-specific funds? Maybe, but also they are becoming, I think, more enlightened about what kind of support or types of investors are out there and they want because there's so many blogs, podcasts, and whatnot. And That's true. As we're seeing more operator, more supportive type of investors will be prevalent, I hope.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. We'll see. Two years, not too long.
1: It's already happening. So I Yeah, think- it's
0: happening. But is it happening fast enough? Is the speed of it happening? I want to say, is it a fad? But right, like how yeah. sustainable is it? How sustainable is that in the long run? Because you're competing against the mega fund. And then you're, the expectation is for you at some point to become a mega fund. But does that make sense? Maybe and maybe not,
1: right? Like, when you look at Benchmark or Union Square, have right. they raised mega funds? And I remember Gurley, Bill Gurley, always saying the optimal size, and even August Capital way back used to talk about the ideal size of fund if you had three to four investing partners is about two to 200, 250. The period of deployment and the ability to return high returns, right? Yeah. My returns being what? Three, four, five X? Five X back in the day. Yeah. yeah. That was so good. basically I think that's where we're shooting for. And it looks like it's materializing across the three funds that I've either co-founded or founded. And the next question is, and then what? Right? That's the next question. And then what?
0: You have the fund three at this size. Do you stay at that size? Do you go bigger? Do, do you now become a mega fund? Do you want to become a mega fund?
1: No, I think you there know? are different people who are good at being, mega being fund. stewards of mega fund. I agree. It's okay. a
0: lot of powder to put out. That's a lot of that's a lot of money to put out. A billion dollars. That's a, like that's a lot of startups. That's, I mean, a, lot that's of- a lot of startups, right? That's not a few.
1: That's a lot of startups. I think Uh, if you look at the types of companies to work with, early stage companies require more than capital. Yes. They require a lot of hand-holding, strategy, updates, hires, partnerships, fundraising. Customers, potentially, they may need everything. They may need everything. They do need everything. And you can't find a successful company. You have to work with them. True. And if you're gonna do that, even with three to four investing partners, your attention span is so limited anyways. That's true. And because so, you still
0: have all the LP relations, you have vendor
1: relations, you have there's other things happening in a fund,
0: which most people don't see. Now, yeah. Sometimes people don't think that there's other things happening in the fund, but there's it's actual operation and business of running the fund
1: itself. Correct. I'll say that. So we do have a lot of advisors, consultants doing a lot of that with us. And uh, depending on the subject matter, we have experienced operators who come in to help it go to market, advising yeah. digital health companies versus fintech companies. And these are yeah. C-level execs or pretty senior execs who've grown notable brand name entities and they for whatever reason love to work with early stage companies putting their own capital in most of the time because in addition to carry they have to have some skin in the game right yeah and so this is where it's worked out for us not always we do have the companies that don't survive the storms. And, For whatever reason, it happens. But, yeah, and all, and but the ones that have, they've all gone through those growing pains and death moments, as I call them. If you work with them well, then I think you can stay the course and become that 4, 5, 10, 20x return company. The one thing that I'm thinking about is, as a startup founding team, you work so hard. For seven years of my life, when I was a startup founder, I basically did not sleep. You have more. no life.
0: Really, I, that is your life. That is your entire life. As the founder, Like that is your life. Jeez, exactly. Like, you and have to make a lot of decisions around that. What does that look like? What does that mean to me? What What am I going to give up? What am I going to stop? What am I going to start? It's also, what are you going to start doing? Maybe you need to change some things around as well.
1: I think working with startups in a very involved manner, because you care about the founders as a person and you care about their, it's not a livelihood, it's more their, their well-being, them
0: as, a, as an individual, as a founder. Because I think sometimes even founders don't, don't understand the marathon
1: pace of what it is. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And so a lot of times, or rather, there are times when we've had early stage companies be offered, I don't know, 50, 60 million dollars to with mm-hmm. back of the napkin pencil out. Guys, you just raise a no. You know what this means. We don't have equity. So you can give us like one, one and a half X, whatever the
0: Correct. liquid
1: pref if there is any. And you could keep the rest. If you raise equity dollars, that means you're gonna diluted. You're gonna have to exit at this price versus the Mm -hmm. Mm sixty. But that means another three to four years of your life working like this. Sure. Is that what you guys wanna do? I've had those discussions several times with the teams. And so that I can look at myself in the mirror. And go, okay, at least I told them and they chose.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I think sometimes founders are going for that big, I'm the unicorn, I'm the billion dollar exit. And they don't really look at what you said, right? There's a number here and maybe it's 60, maybe it's 50, maybe it's hundred million, right? Decent exit, you guys got decent money out of it. And now you can move forward, right? Onto the next phase of your life. And now you've had a successful exit as well, right? Yeah. So that makes you look very different than if you continue to work and maybe something doesn't quite work out. That can happen as well. Yeah. So like there, there is a configuration or thinking that can happen around founders where it's really you need to ask yourself the questions. If these kind of things happen at these points, what does it mean? What does it look like? And how different is this going to be for me than if I continue go- going?
1: Absolutely. And I think I didn't get that as a founder and mm. think because of my finance background, I knew. But uh, I think that the reason why I do that is to build trust because these are usually smart founders. They may or may not have smart legal counsel around them. And at some point they go, wow, nobody explained this to me. Oh, but my well, that's could But they didn't. And so this way, I think it's one of the ways that you have to be very transparent. And from an LP point of view, might be like, why would you explain that? Because if you get a reputation as being rapacious, you probably won't get the repeat offenders. True.
0: (laughs) True. And also
1: when it's time for liquidity, they may not treat you so well. Even if you have that's active, true as well. Because more. if you were holding something back like that, you're right.
0: It may it may come back to haunt you later.
1: It will. It will. Yeah, and absolutely. plus, it's the right thing to do. But I think for those who are looking at it from a pure financial transactional perspective, that's what I would say. But it is a.
0: It's all a transaction, right? It's not solely your transaction. There's many people in the ecosystem that you're creating as a VC. That that transaction impacts the founder, the LP, you as the GP. Maybe you have other people in there, right? Like venture partners. Who knows? It impacts many people. So, like you said, it's almost give them the option. If they take it, they knew, at
1: least they knew and they had they made an informed decision. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, That's we, we labored this point, but I think it's important because it goes yes. to the trust and in, I think integrity factor in the industry.
0: I think a lot of people don't discuss this enough. There are points at which, you know, and even founders need to think about it. Even founders should be thinking about, hey, they should be asking. And I think if you don't know, sometimes you
1: won't ask if you don't know. That's it. Yeah. And I've made mistakes in the past. I'm not perfect, but I yeah. think this is where you try to think more intentionally about how you act with or interact with the founders and also reverse if there's a negative action so yes where a founder may pose a mna as a aqua hire at 40 50 60 and yeah it went from a mna to a aqua hire mm-hmm. deal with those two right yeah i think it goes both ways to your point
0: but it's an informed decision With data, in essence.
1: So that's good. That's good. So how do people contact you? Like I said, I think after almost nine years, plus being in tech about 25, there's advisors, past founders or teams of companies or other investors. But usually it's more the founders and other team members who contact me. Awesome. Thank you very much, Susan Joe, from Catalyst
0: Ventures for being our guests on the Female Lab Podcast. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by Trail and Find and invest in the next billion-dollar emerging tech company. Sign up for our exclusive content at HTTPS, colon, slash, slash, to find out more. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening.